Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, joined as always by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello, hello. And Barrett Share, music video sins writer. Howdy. And today, we're going to be talking about the year of 1980. Here's Johnny. We're on a mission from God. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. You have a pool and a pond. A pond would be good for you. I love you. I know. Yes. And this is the first year that I can actually remember stuff from. (laughs) Yeah, if if we allow you your Sean Connery-ness during the night. Probably because we're recording at night, so I'm drinking wine right now. Oh, that's not good. good. It might end up being like a totally different podcast than the one we, uh, you know, are advertising and hoping to do today. I'm wasted, Uh, man. (laughs) Uh, 1980 of course is uh, memorable for many different movies Uh, Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980 Mm -hmm. I still think is the best Star Wars movie I agree wholeheartedly Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, another movie that we have talked about constantly on this is The Shining came out in 1980 Mm -hmm. Um, so those are two heavy hitters right off the bat I'm going to also include because this movie is extremely important to me and that is airplane um airplane is uh is still to me the best comedy of all time and this is in a year that there were many great comedies that came out a lot of like legendary comedies came out um but uh barrett uh what do you see in 1980 well two of the speaking of the comedies two of the of my most watched movies of all time are Caddyshack and the Blues Brothers, and they mm-hmm. both came out yeah. uh, in in this in this year, and you know it was featuring all the Saturday Night Live alumni and National Lampoon and and all that stuff, and the stories that are behind those movies are just almost as hilarious as the movies themselves. Oh yeah, uh, especially Caddyshack, which was just we were talking about Caligula, uh, you know, a couple of episodes ago. That that sounded like basically the movie set version of Caligula where like <laughs> drugs and sex and anything went and, you know, pranks and nobody liked Chevy Chase. And, you know, it was, but that, that stands out as like really the two movies that I've watched almost the most in, in my life. Although airplane is up there too, mm-hmm. but yeah, between those. And then you got something like raging bull that came out. That was just like this huge kind of game changer right oh uh, yeah raging bull is fantastic another scorsese movie that basically um there was a sort of a recurring theme in his uh oscar nominated movies where they were just always for some reason he would come out with a masterpiece and then like something you know that was just, just sort of captured the imagination of that year would pass it pass it by and people would just like you know, later on they'd be like oh yeah we may maybe should have given that to raging bull you know, or, or we should have given that to Goodfellas or we should have given that to Taxi Driver or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, another great one. Uh, Jeremy? Yeah, I think you guys are forgetting a little masterpiece called Flash Gordon. Ah, <laughs> I am not forgetting Flash Gordon, by the way. But How could you I know forget? What, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I enjoy that movie immensely. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was a childhood sweet spot hitter, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I was 
five in 1980. Um, I'm sure I didn't see this until I was seven on home video or whatever, but I did see it dozens and dozens of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was very formative for me. Like, right after The Black Hole, it was one of those sci-fi, you know, introduction movies for me. So I felt it needed a mention. It's not good at all. In fact, it's being remade into probably an even more terrible, serious version. But it's campy as hell. I think it's really fun. Tell you what, it was an it was a it was a um I don't know it was a really fun midnight movie for me when it came to the Bell Court a couple of years ago. Um, that was it was just it's just that's the perfect sweet spot for a midnight movie is Flash Gordon. Um, uh, so I I you know sort of got to revisit that movie there on the big screen. It was good. Um, I looking at the further down the list, you have Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th came out, uh, not a good movie at all, but it was, uh, enough to spawn like, uh, 60 sequels. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they're still going. Yeah, they're still going. Uh, Friday the 13th came out, uh, not good at all, but, uh, yeah, it came out with a million sequels and then Superman two, which, uh, which is, uh, one of the most, uh, I guess, um, drama filled, uh, comic book creation movies ever. Cause Richard Donner, uh, originally was, uh, making that movie. So he's making it right after Superman. They were shooting them back to back and the producers decided we don't like Richard Donner and all the money he made us on that first one. Let's get Richard Lester, the guy who did hard days night. And, um, <laughs> and then, and they made Superman too. And it was like a, a camp fest all the way through it and everything. Um, but yeah, Superman two came out in 1980 as well. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Ordinary People. Did we already mention that? Yeah. Ordinary People, uh, best picture of 1980. Yeah. And then uh, I had uh, down on the cultural impact cult status uh, fame and Blue Lagoon came oh, out. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blue Lagoon. Brooke Shields continuing to be exploited as a child. <laughs> oh, my God. Did she have some bad handlers? <laughs> yes, she did. Yes, she did. Um, uh the uh the, there's a couple of others like there's a couple of horror movies that i enjoy here the fog the john carpenter fog was uh was really good yeah um and uh the changeling the george c scott the changeling Ooh. yeah that's a terrifying movie um and uh i i haven't seen it in a while but man that's a great movie anything else for you guys well i one thing that that was criminally underseen uh for me so Johnny Depp did uh, Hunter S. Thompson, his impersonation of him in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in 98. But before that, in 1980, Bill Murray did Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> yep, in yep. Where the Buffalo Roam. And he arguably now, – now, Depp gets justifiably praised for his dead-on impersonation of Hunter S. Thompson, who had mm. – who was one of the most quirky motherfuckers that has ever lived – um, yeah. between the drug addled behavior and just his natural kind of weirdness. But Bill Murray does a terrific job with it too. And actually kind of grounds him a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I love watching this movie. I could watch this movie on repeat uh, for, for days. And uh, it's, it's definitely, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It was on Netflix uh, until just recently. And there are several like, um, you know, the movies that don't have any chance in this, in this argument here, but there's some <clears> pretty good cult movies here. Dressed to kill the Brian De Palma um, where he's, I guess it's kind of lazy to say that he, he tried to copy Hitchcock. 
uh, and everything, but this is his psycho basically, but it's, you know, it's with a different story. Um, but dress to kill is a really interesting movie. If you ever want to see, uh, just, uh, just, you know, sort of a mind fuck of a thriller and all that type of stuff. Michael Caine's really good in it. Um, uh, dressed to kill. And then <laughs> have you guys seen the gods must be crazy? Oh yeah. yeah that's another little, uh, that's a, that's a funny movie. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not great, but it's fun. That was uh, a premium cable, uh, staple back in the eighties, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was always on, I, I, you know, the, the Coke bottle landing on the <laughs> landing on the beach and them <laughs> thinking that, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just uh yeah, it was on all the time. Yeah. Uh, and the, the last one I want to mention is, is heaven's gate came out and oh, Wasn't the story was it was like the most expensive uh, movie that was just a complete disaster, like forty four million, and uh, it only brought in like a couple million or something like that. Yeah, Uh, Camino had just come off of uh, or Camino came off of um, Deer Hunter. And just like a lot of these guys in the seventies, they suddenly got a big head because they had that big movie and they're like, I'm going to make this movie the way I want to God damn it. And then, you know, they made something that cost way too much and didn't connect with audiences. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the, that's the big story on heaven's gate. And there's a lot of stuff in here. I, I have to say that, um, there's a couple of movies in here that I, I I'm afraid to say I never have seen, that I know are probably good, like the elephant man. Um, yeah, the elephant man. I haven't, I've never seen it. And I've, and this is a really bad, especially uh, being a Nashville person, uh, never have seen coal miners daughter. Never oh, have. Really? Yeah. That, <laughs> uh, that's a bad, I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen it all the way through. Um, so that's a big gap in my, in my, uh, viewing for 1980. I have seen altered States though, the William Hurt, uh, movie where he's like trying to, uh, find, uh, sort of the origin of man and changes DNA and all other type of stuff. It's a really strange movie. Mm. Um, uh, it, it starts off pretty well and then it, and then it sort of, yeah. I don't, I don't like where it goes after that. It's really interesting questions and, and stuff that they go through at the beginning of it. And then once it, once he goes through the, he, he goes into some sort of uh, a sensory deprivation tank or whatever. And, and uh, he starts, you know, changing uh, his actual appearance and whatever through that tank. And it's just one of those movies, like once he changes and stuff, it's like, ah, yeah, I mean, it's not nearly as exciting as we were talking about before, but, uh, another mm-hmm. kind of, a, uh, an interesting movie. If you ever want to see it, that movie is definitely made for somebody who, um, has been smoking weed all night and needs to watch something, you know, that just, <laughs> Oh, that's some crazy stuff right that's there, man. I mean, I'm in an altered state. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, uh, it's got that, it's got the, you know, the hallmarks of drug movies where they just flash a whole bunch of images that don't really mean much except to any, just to people who are like making the movie, I guess. Oh yeah. And, uh, William Hurt starts, uh, starts wrestling with a snake. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the way it happens. <laughs> and, uh, um, it's, it's one of those type of movies, but yeah, if you're like smoking something, that'd be good. Um, anything else about 1980? Do we want to go to the vote? I think we should probably go to the vote because I, I think this one might go more than one round. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so Barrett, what do you think is the best movie in 1980? Oh man, this is, this one is rough. I think I mentioned in an email that this is really top heavy. Like there's a lot of good stuff to like in mm-hmm. 1980. But like the top is really, really 
amazing. Oh yeah. And and The Shining, I've already said, is one of my favorite films of all time by one of my favorite directors of all time. But also Empire Strikes Back is riding the line of most influential, most revered, justifiably, and you know, really um kind of it checks all the boxes. I'm gonna go mm-hmm. almost against my better judgment. I'm gonna go with Empire Strikes Back. Okay. That's not a bad choice, though. Um, uh, Jeremy, what do you think? Well, uh, Empire is clearly the best Star Wars movie in, in my and our opinions. Um, and boy, is it good. Like, mm-hmm. you, like half the time when I see New Hope, I'm only watching it so that I can watch Empire. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. It pays off so much so well and sets up so much so well. Um, and, you know, we overlooked Star Wars when we did 70... Seven was it, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw a lot of people saying, "Don't worry, you can make it right when you get to 1980." And uh, I'm going with The Shining. Yeah, yeah. The okay. Shining is with Alien, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite scary movies of all time. And you, you could make the case without me arguing that Empire Strikes Back has had a much bigger cultural impact, and it has. Um, and I would counter that The Shining is a better movie, um, and I think it is. But I also think The Shining has had a lot of cultural impact in terms of how many parodies and uh, people quoting the here's Johnny and all work and no play makes whatever a dull boy. I mean, it's the red rum. There's so many cultural touchstone moments in that film that people still reference today. It doesn't have as much cultural impact as Empire, but enough that with the quality of the film overall, I'm going with The Shining. And so, and so funny too, because Stephen King hated, yeah. you know, this adaptation <laughs> and everything. I've read a lot of uh, of um, IMDb trivia on this movie, and like, there's there was a I, there's some sort of legend that uh, Stanley Kubrick was uh, was reading all these different books, looking for the new next movie that he wanted to make or whatever, and his secretary kept hearing this like like for like five minutes he would there would be like a silence and then there would be like a you know a, something hitting the wall and that was like the 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 book or whatever that he was reading because he's not good enough or whatever and then then the legend is that when he got to the shining all she heard was silence afterwards and uh, he's like this is the movie that i need to make or whatever so uh that's an interesting little story a little adds to the uh legend of kubrick and who knows if it's true or not but uh it's on the imdb so i'm going to go with it um uh i am uh i'm gonna go with the empire strikes back on this oh one. wow yeah um, wow th- yeah this movie is uh it, it, when you when you look at just yeah i mean cultural impact and uh just uh overall um excitement and everything there's not much you can pick apart on this movie um it was it's funny though that when it came out it wasn't nearly the it was still number one movie box office wise in 1980 but it had fallen off a little bit from star wars um so there was something about the darkness of that movie that turned some people off back in 1980 it wasn't the i've got to go see it over and over and over again like star wars although it was i mean it, it still was it still made over like 200 million dollars which back in 1980 is like tons you know it's like it's probably a billion um but um looking at these movies i love the shining i don't like it nearly as much as empire strikes back 
Um, airplane is, is definitely my all time comedy. Um, and in, if I had to sort of, uh, get my second choice, it would be airplane, but airplane as funny as it is, I cannot compare it to empire strikes back. (laughs) That's a good point. That's ludicrous. Um, so, I mean, of course, a lot of people might say, well, you you liked uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail over Jaws. What's that all about? Well, you know, that's the way I was feeling at the time. Um, so I'm going to say Empire Strikes Back, and I think that wins it. It does. Yeah. Man. It does. I've been defeated. You bastards. <laughs> well, at least one you vote for Raging Bull or Ordinary People. Wow. Well, I mean, and Raging Bull is great. It's just, I mean... It, when you think about cultural impact and everything, I mean, how many times have you watched raging bull, by the way, probably twice. Yeah. I was going to say, right. It's not, it's not like a real rewatchable movie and it's probably as long as the shining, but like you can watch the shining a zillion times, but raging bull seems like, eh, all right. eh." Yeah. It's a tough movie to get through. Um, and, and ordinary people, it's a good movie, but it just isn't what these other movies are. Like, you know, I can just see back in 1980, that movie must have hit a, a sort of critical touchstone with everybody. And, uh, and that's how it sort of rode the wave. You you start seeing that in the eighties, by the way, you start seeing the, you know, these weird, like, uh, this movie's about something, uh, this is an epic, you know, they're just, they're all like just winning best picture and everything. And, um, and that was sort of, I mean, ordinary people is like not an epic, but it's, you know, it's just one of those movies that I think that just, it just rode the, it's kind of like what Forrest Gump did in 1994, you know, where, where like, there's so many great movies that came out that year and like Forrest Gump wins it and like, yeah, that's a good movie, but damn, um, <laughs> and look at all the stuff that you passed over to award that to Forrest Gump. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, ordinary people's good and I'm not taking anything away from it. It's just not those movies. All right. Well, uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking about movie cliches that we wish would just go away. I'm gonna avoid the cliche. Toast to cliches in my dark past. Just a couple of guys and a dog making candles. What a cliche. Mm. Um, and I have so many, uh, I, I was writing, I wrote a whole bunch down and I just, uh, I was like, I don't think this is ever going to end. Um, anyway, uh, Barrett, do you want to start us off on this? Well, I actually want, I've got a couple, but I'm just going to name, start off with one of them, but I really want to turn this guy over to you guys since you are, have been probably aching to do this topic for forever because you've seen Mm -hmm. so many of them in the, in the sense videos. One thing that really stood out to me as soon as we suggested this topic and it came up to me uh, because we just did the, you guys ever hear Melanie Martinez? She's Mm -hmm. a- a pop singer that was just recently she was on the voice and she got uh some some fame on youtube and everything and she released this concept album and concept video called cry baby and she did this very ethereal video that we're actually doing a sans video for um but what came up in it was the alcoholic parent and mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. poor child gets born into an alcoholic mother and everything. And she's not paying attention to her the way that she should. She's not taking care of her. And it is so pervasive in movies just to add an extra bit of drama or an extra bit of like pity to a character, especially a child. 
and it gets on my nerves. It really gets on my nerves because here's here's the problem. And you can you can point to like things like Boyhood, which was the alcoholic stepfather. Purple Rain had it. Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street had it. Um, <laughs> you know, Mad Men even to to a certain extent, and like Back to the Future too. You know, in the in the future. <laughs> but like my point is, is that for all almost all of these kids, they turn out fine anyway. Oh yeah, right? I mean they they're fine. Like if you compare it. To a, a kid with a normal, loving uh, group of parents, they tend out to, to turn out okay as well. Like the the most like positive depiction of a parent I think of is like Easy A. You guys mm-hmm. remember like they've got mm-hmm. Stanley Tucci and uh, yeah. and uh, I love that movie by the way. It's a great movie, uh, and they're, they're they're like the best parents ever. And like she turns out okay, but like the, all these kids, the alcoholics, they're okay. You know, they, they turn out all right. So it's well, just like to make you feel bad. Yeah. And it seems like all the time in these movies, they have to like, not only are they an alcoholic, but they, they have 50 beer cans and <laughs> like, like 400 different bottles that's like lying around. just going to say like, that segues oh, sorry for taking your thunder there. Which is the orgy of evidence. And yeah. <laughs> somebody asked on Twitter the other day. If we stole that from Minority Report, and the answer is no, we're, not, we're referencing Minority Report. We're not trying to steal that line, and we're not trying to claim it as our own. Um, but it's used a lot in movies, particularly you'll notice, as we point out in the videos, with uh, kids' bedrooms, right? This is a yeah, boy's yeah, bedroom, yeah. so every boy thing ever will be in that room. And right. It's a lot with the alcoholic parent. Like Chris was saying, you don't just get a couple <laughs> bottles or see a, sh- a shot of them drinking. It's like all the alcohol in the world is in this room. Right. <laughs> They never throw it away. Well, so, and even in uh, even in uh, uh, Toy Story, uh, two, Toy Story Two, um, where they're they're going the who no, was it? Toy, it's the first Toy Story, right? Um, where they where the they're walking into the room or whatever, and the guy's like sleeping. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there's like cans all over the place yeah. and everything. Like beers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so uh, should be so, dead. So, like even in Toy is insulting because it's. It's just a cheap way to try and build character development, um, you know, through visuals. And, you know, if you we're all real little kids, you know, maybe only if you pay attention to movies the way we do, you see this stuff. But nobody's kid's room looks like that. No, nobody <laughs> has as many lamps in their room as fucking Bella from Twilight has in her room, right? <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you want to play with light and dark, but Jesus, give me a break. And so it's just, and maybe even this is more a cliche slash sin on the part of like the set decorator <laughs> than it is the actual director. Because I don't know exactly who's making the final decisions in all these cases, but... Um, that, yeah, the first one on my list was the orgy of evidence in, in, in setting up a location. Right. Mm. And, and you've got to think that it's probably, it's probably is the, the set, uh, the set designer or it's the prop master. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing back here. We've got to fill it up with something. Okay. Let's put a whole bunch of basketballs and soccer balls and a <laughs> Rubik's cube. And like the Rubik's cube is in every movie. Yeah. That's one of, that's a, a cliche in itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know of very many people who still play with Rubik's cubes. It seemed like that was a bigger thing in the eighties. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, but like every kid's room's got a Rubik's cube <laughs> sitting around yep. and, and even, even in, I think gravity. There's a point where they're like, she's like going around and there's a Rubik's cube sitting there in the ship, um, just everywhere. But well, um, every kid is into every single sport. 
right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, Especially in uh, in uh, in Troll Two. <laughs> I was just going to say that <laughs> in Troll Two, he's with he's he's a fan of every team yeah, in like sports. Different teams in sports. <laughs> it was such a fun uh, video to make. Oh yeah, it was. It was great, and I was glad that we finally were able to do something with Minority Report with an outtake. Uh, when in basic instinct, there's that ridiculous ending where like every bit of evidence they could possibly need is in Gene Triplehorn's like bedroom or whatever. And they don't think it's weird that all this like stuff just hanging around and everything. And we got to use the, uh, the, the sound of Colin Farrell saying that it's like, you know, man, how many orgies, orgies I've ever come across in, in the my line of work? None. And like, none of these guys think it's weird at all. They're like, all right, this is what, this is the open and shut case. We found all the shit. <laughs> well, it's um, like, and this will come out after the video I'm talking about, but in Cars, which we're about to mm -hmm. do since video four, like he stays in the Cone Hotel that uh, Sally owns, <laughs> but inside the Cone Hotel room, fucking everything is cones. Everything, <laughs> the wallpaper, yeah. the baseboards, the <laughs> frames, the pictures inside the frames, everything shaped like a cone. It's like a dozen different things. It's so over the top. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Mine is, uh, I don't know if we necessarily call it a cliche, um, but, uh, I guess it's done enough and, you know, and obviously there are people out there who are like, well, these aren't cliches, they're tropes, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? I don't give a fuck. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, um, but, uh, the, the, the one that I can't stand is just deus ex machina. Um, that one, uh, bothers me more than anything because they always, uh, put these characters in a, in a situation that they cannot get out of and, and then have something or someone bail them out at the end. And it just, I I'm, I'm just tired of it. Like stop putting them in that corner. Well, it is the it, cheapest way to try and get the viewer to, to feel like there's real danger, right? Is you, you yeah. put them in an unescapable mm. situation and then you can't help but feel danger. Like when Sam and Frodo are on the side of the mountain and fire is everywhere and the lava is flowing, you're like, oh, those fuckers are dead. And then the <laughs> eagles show up to save them. And I feel <laughs> yeah. like, like you just jerked my chain a bit to get me to experience some kind of emotional thing. Uh, there are other ways to do it if you take your time, I think. Yeah. So I agree with you. It's one of the worst. Well, and the worst thing about the Eagles, of course, is that they were, you know, we're being told, you know, by people who are re really into the books and everything. Uh, and this is not explained in the movies at all, especially in the Hobbit where the, the Eagles take them halfway and say, well, you know, you're good. Um, the, the, you know, the, the Eagles don't want to fly because they're afraid of the men and their bows of you. And, uh, you know, that's the most Tolkienist line I can possibly say. And, um, and, uh, and like they're afraid of that, but it seems like they don't give a fuck about those bows of you when it comes down to saving, bailing people out when yeah. uh, uh, across uh, at Mordor, where like all the evil is <laughs> and everything. Uh, they're fine by it. Oh, well, you know, you, you guys uh, look like you're doing pretty good in this battle. I'll uh, just come by and, uh, you know, use my talons to kill everybody. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I, that, I mean, I've, we've discussed this a million times. I mean, that's the, that's, I hate that you just stop writing your characters in this, in this sort of like, you know, impossible situation, uh, ever, and then have somebody who's like, we thought was dead or, or, you know, hasn't been on screen in a while or whatever showing up to save the day. Like I was remembering, like we were talking about, uh, 
some we were talking about those uh, unbelievable moments in movies and everything like in Jupiter ascending there's like a million of these um like uh, there's a there's a point where he's like out in space and yeah. like he's about to die yeah. and like a ship comes up you know how big space is <laughs> ship a ship that a ship that Sean Bean is driving comes along and says all right that's our man and they just put him on the ship you know it's like it's like come on man you know what the <laughs> this is it's space there are ways to build tension and emotional peaks and valleys without resorting to this have you guys seen the movie lock with tom hardy no no, no i okay. haven't i highly heard, recommend I both to. of you and all listeners watch that movie um it literally is him driving a car the entire movie um and he has phone conversations uh, and that's the dialogue and man, I was riveted uh, and it goes up and down emotional peaks and valleys and it has tense moments and it's literally a dude driving a car talking on the phone for an hour and a half, two hours. And everyone I watched it with, my brother and Josh and his brother, we were all like blown away. Um, you don't have to have a deus ex machina. Um, that, that, I think one of the reasons we dislike it so much is that it's lazy. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, It's like that Seinfeld episode when... I might have told this story on a podcast already, but when Jerry's mad about that guy telling Jewish jokes right after he converts to Judaism and the, <laughs> he's in confession and the priest is like, this offends you as a Jewish person. He's like, no, it offends me as a comedian. It's lazy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. why Deus Ex Machina offends me. It's just, it's lazy writing. Um, it's a and, cheat. Yeah, it's a total cheat. Yeah. All right. So this is fresh on my mind because of uh, trailers for a certain mutant superhero movie. But mm, uh, what could you mean? <laughs> my list is forget everything you think you know. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how any respectable screenwriter can pen this line of dialogue in any movie in this day and age. It is. It's so beyond overused. It's doubly overused. It's a dead horse beating a dead horse with a dead <laughs> horse. And just when I, when I saw that first trailer for X-Men Apocalypse, I was kind of like, okay, I'm a little intrigued. Forget everything you think you know. Fuck you, movie. I'm not happy. It was a dark and stormy night. Like I've tweeted about three times about that since. It's just, it's again, it's laziness. I think you're going to find, for me at least, most of these cliches and tropes that I hate are related to what I view as writing or directing laziness. Uh, and what you're trying to say here is that the, the playing field has changed. That um, there are probably 182 different ways to say that without saying forget everything you think you know. And it's this, <laughs> this mindset of filmmaking for beats as opposed to actual meaningfulness, right? Like, And it just drives me up the wall and... That movie, it's getting terrible reviews, but it was already in the shithouse in my book just because of that line in that trailer. It's kind of like the old, you know, the the trailer uh, voice guy, you know, going in a world where nothing is as it seems. Right, right. You know? <laughs> it's the, it's it, that used to, you see that in almost every trailer back in the 80s and 90s. and trailer for Seinfeld's comedian movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's, it's got the audio booth guy going. No, no, no in a world. No, in a, in a universe. No, no, it's not like that. What do you mean, no in a world? You know? <laughs> he was like, in a land, no in a land, in a time, no in a time either. in a land before time. <laughs> One man. <laughs> yes. Um uh okay, so oh my god, there's so many. Um all right, so this 
sort of is is more pointed towards the Marvel movies, but the scientist who's under pressure uh, with a deadline yeah, who yeah. has to use the technology on himself. Oh my god! <laughs> this is in uh, I, I counted up. It's like in Spider Man, Spider Man Two, Fantastic Four. It's in Hulk. Um, there's just so many times where it's like, can, is it really that important? Is it really, Even in you know, Watchmen they do it. Yeah. yeah. In Watchmen they do it. Um, I, it, it just gets, it, you know, you're scientists or whatever. And I understand. Okay. And, you know, scientists are going to do that stupid thing. There's a lot of dumb be- Barrett, you probably know this better than we do. Uh, scientists are going to do stupid things a lot of times. I know that my my brother has had to had to deal with that with his job a lot of times. You know, they do stuff without uh, without permission. They do, but I have never run across a scientist that has irradiated themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> personally, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it right. probably happens. I'm just saying personally, I haven't really well, had experience with it. I think the most egregious example, I mean, there's all these are egregious, but the most egregious example is in Fantastic Four, that last one that came out, uh, where they've made this uh, incredible machine that can go, you know, across uh, dimensions or whatever. And they're like, you know what? None of the people who made the shuttle got any of the glory. Let's go and let's go by ourselves. And they go (laughs) to this other place and then they like, ooh, look at this green goo. Let's touch it. Touch it. <laughs> Let's go down this cliff. Let's do all this stuff that scientists would never do in their lives. And and it just, oh my God. You, you when you're watching it, you're just going, no, no, there's no motivation that would make you do that. None. Like, None. can you imagine? Like, even if let, let, if they accidentally got shot into space and they were on a planet or whatever, and they're like, well, I guess I found myself here. You wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't, you would be trying to go back. You wouldn't be like, like, Oh, let's touch this. And I'm, I, I mean, really that's the scene is so ridiculous. I actually wondered why they didn't disrobe and like stick their penises down. It and everything. <laughs> let's fuck this and see what happens. Fuck this green goo. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Oh my uh, god. I'm going to move on to uh, Hey, can I can I insert one? Yeah. yeah. You can I've got one that is <laughs> speaking of inserting. <laughs> I want to know what you guys think about this because I've seen it done so well that it really annoys me when I see it done poorly. It's people getting shot and dying immediately, which, you know, <laughs> I understand it's a necessity uh, for a lot of movies to just get rid of the extra bodies, but (laughs) you probably don't need to have that many bodies in the first place uh, to be shot immediately. But the reason I think about this is because it's done so hilariously in Pineapple Express. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and where he gets shot just kind of multiple times and like he's still just kind of going. And it, <laughs> it's really uncomfortable to watch. And, of course, at the end, it's the same thing with like uh, with Seth, Seth Rogen's character, too. But like, man, I mean, every 24 plot except for like if Jack gets shot, like he's fine because it just went straight through or, you know, whatever. Happened. <laughs> right. But like, man, you you wing a guy and like, like the, the, the soul has escaped his body. That's it. Like he's, he's given up. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, anyway. Yeah. All right. So um, (laughs) because there's a new movie that we have recently mini pod reviewed that 
we'll what could it be? segue into this. <laughs> I'm going to jump down the list to the giving me the city, state, and country uh, of every establishing shot. Uh, oh, yes. Paris, comma, France, when I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower. Uh, right. Now, we, sin, we probably sin some of these a little more aggressively than we feel in real life. Like the one for the Punisher video where it says Tampa, Florida. I think the sin was... Uh, in case you confused it for Tampa anywhere else. Although I'll admit, this is a weak-ass, unrecognizable skyline. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. two things at work with this thing, with this sin and this cliche that bother me slash us. That's, you know, if you're giving me a visual, I already understand. Downtown London, downtown New York City. I probably don't need anything. But if yeah. you're going to give me something, just give me the city. Um, the other one is when the city name is so recognizable, I don't need the country. Like... London, even if you're in a farm just outside of London, you can say London without giving me England, right? <laughs> right. I mean, or you could give me Tampa without giving me Florida. Um, now, before seeing this movie, I was really curious because everybody's been tweeting at me that, you know, they think Civil War did their place names as a way to avoid being sinned for them. Now, first of all, I think that's utterly ridiculous. I don't, yeah, think, me too. I don't think those guys pay any attention to us, nor should nope. they. Um but let's just pretend for one second that it was some kind of response to us. This is not an improvement. No. Um, <laughs> taking away the country name, but blowing the city name up to 60% of the screen size. Right. It's not trying to avoid a sin. It's a middle finger. And I couldn't right. stop giggling every time I saw it. Like, Oh, it's obnoxious. It, it was obnoxiously huge, right? And I, again, right. I don't believe they pay any attention to us. But I felt like it was so over the top that... Uh, even casual viewers were probably jarred by that, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, there's no need for that, and and it's just uh, that's all I need to say. Wait, there's no need for that. Yeah, they um, shoved Berlin down your throat with big ass <laughs> letters. Yeah, seriously, it was like, um, here's where we are, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Stop yeah. shouting at me. You're well annoyed. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, so speaking of speaking of uh, cities and landmarks and everything, I'm tired of every movie set in San Francisco mm -hmm. putting something on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in New York, it's always the Brooklyn Bridge. Yep. And I understand that these are, you know, these are recognizable landmarks to everybody out there. And that sounds exciting and everything. But can we just not have a movie where they play those things and it's like they don't go there well, ever? Now it's even getting meta, right? The trailer for the Independence Day 2 movie that I saw in the theater on Civil War has Jeff Goldblum say, watching them destroy a monument and say, they do love the monuments. Justify it. What the hell are we doing? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the justification of it is, is I mean, that's where we're going, right? Like, every time there's a criticism of something that happens in movies, well, let's do something where it's uh, you, it's unimpeachable at this point, yeah. you know? Let's let's acknowledge that. As long as we admit it, we're okay. It's like the robber who's, like, going, it, like, you know, if a robber went into a bank and said, well, up, I robbed that bank, and we're just like, okay, well, as long as you admitted it, you're good. <laughs> Barrett, do you have any more to interject or should I go on? I got one more. It, it, it kind of is a, a similar thing to like the alcoholic parent and just kind of bringing up unnecessary drama in there. And it's the presence of unnecessary animals. <laughs> <laughs> when, when there's no reason to put them in there. I mean, <laughs> fuck. Get the fucking dog out of there. We don't 
we know either it's going to die or it's not going to die. Okay. And if it dies, we're all fucking bummed out. If it doesn't die, that's fine. Oh, it wasn't supposed to die in the fucking first place. So just get them out of there. It's right. it, what I thought about was all the Will Smith movies because in I Am Legend, dog dies. At that point, I checked out. Like, I was like, okay, fuck you, movie. You yeah. annoy me. And then the contrast that to Independence Day, right. where the most ridiculous scenario of the dog living. As he as he jumps out of the way of the uh, the destruction into an innocuous alley, and uh, now he's he's safe in Vivica Fox's cleavage. Well, alien, yeah, definitely. I I would like to and uh, be a part of that. Um, <laughs> the uh, no, the, the you know the alien uh, explosion, the huge megaton. Uh, 50 atomic bomb thing it doesn't blow up you know small supply closets in the middle of a uh, you know of a, no. of a tunnel it doesn't yeah. do that it doesn't blow those up at all no it's um, fine and it, but yeah it's all it's it seems like it's always in those like uh disaster movies where they do that yeah there's they, that and then if if you really want to like shove the knife in and like twist it then you, you kill the animal you know it's it's like you, you remember how uh, – I'm sorry, uh, American Psycho, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's the part where Christian Bale kills the homeless guy for no other reason than he annoys him. And that's that's pretty rough. But then he like kills the dog too and you're like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's hideous. What's wrong with you, you <laughs> monster? And uh, – and House of Cards <laughs> opens up <laughs> Kevin Spacey fucking killing a dog in the first three minutes of the show. Oh, my God. So, yeah, any instant drama, you insert a fucking animal. Well, right. They they always do that where they, they – it's like a, they do this five-minute – Volcano is one of the worst ones Ooh, that does this. yeah. The dog has, like, got this, like, treacherous maze-like sort of uh, path to take to get back to <laughs> – safety or whatever and they spend so much time on it too did the dog get out of the lava the lava's all over the place did he get th- oh he got through okay good <laughs> well then the other the other disaster movie one that's very similar is the terrible father right we need to mm-hmm. some quick character exposition and backstory to make us feel sorry oh, for the kid and view this protagonist as you know somebody who is going to have an arc where he turns from bad to good or whatever but it's always the absentee terrible father you never call <laughs> Never come pick up your kids. You're terrible. You didn't come to the flute practice or whatever the fuck. It's just over and over and over. It's the same thing as the dog. It's the same thing as the sick kid in disaster movies. It's just- well, and and by the way, I think 2012 has every one of these cliches. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> and it has it and it and it has more that we haven't even talked about. Yeah. But 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 it has. I think every single one of those. Like it just just never ending it it has the i don't know if you have this on your list jeremy we can talk about it if you do but the you better come take a look at this cliche i love that one yeah is is uh it's i think it's like three times in 2012 somebody does that they just they're like there's like this big dramatic moment and somebody comes in and is like you better come take a look at this it's always a way to break up the conversation that these people need to have yep it's always something like that. And and you better come take a look at this. You can't just come in and say, you know what? There's an asteroid headed towards our well, way. One of the, I was going to say, one of the worst is in Ratha Khan when Spock has just saved the day by walking into the nuclear chamber and screwing on the <laughs> thing. And they call yeah. up to Kirk, Spock's best friend, and they're like, you better get down here. 
<laughs> and you would in real life you would say Spock might die. Hurry. Uh, there's no reason to draw it out other than for the audience's, you know, own tension's sake. So that was definitely on my list. I hate that one. I don't think that happens in real life unless you're trying to surprise somebody, right? Like if my cat yeah. is sleeping upside down in some weird ass position i might say to my wife come in here and take a look at this so that when she comes in here i haven't spoiled what the site is she's gonna see but that's the only time in life that's ever used only time (laughs) (laughs) um i uh there's another one that that comes up uh, quite a bit that has gotten so annoying that i can't i can't get over it now but it's the the clerk at a at a store that has headphones on that doesn't see anything that doesn't hear anything that's going (laughs) on. You know, it was, I first became aware of this in gross point blank, a movie I love. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think it was as prevalent then maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of movies in the past few years have done that. Uh, Harry Potter and the deathly hallows. When they go to the cafe, the chick goes in the back and starts like listening to music or whatever, for whatever reason, so that she doesn't see the big magic fight that happens. Um, in super eight, it happens. Uh, the amazing Spider-Man, which has the stand. Stan Lee cameo uh, X-Men first class has it. There's like so many different times and it's like, how, how negligent are these workers that keep on like not seeing well, and or hearing you, any of this? Let's look at amazing Spider-Man, right? You can't hear it. Fine. Okay. Those are some powerful ass headphones, but fine. You can't feel the vibrations <laughs> of the bookshelves falling. Down. Oh, I know. You would definitely <laughs> sense something was wrong. Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's such a, it's again, it's, it's, People chuckle at it. That's why they keep doing it. But I feel like it's a lazy, cheap way to get a chuckle. All right. So the hero and the villain are facing off, but they drop their weapons. And they oh, yeah. Side oh, yeah. Because Jeez. even though they hate each other, even though they may have threatened to kill each other, what have you, there's some, apparently, there's some kind of code between good guys and bad guys that you have to take him in with your fists. And yeah. he's so fucking, so fucking stupid. Everything from Expendables to Fast and Furious, all kinds of movies do this, and it's annoying as hell. Yeah, most recently in Force Awakens, it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, it bothers me. Yeah, I hate this code thing. And it, I think it's the most ridiculous in that uh, Expendables 2, where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and... Uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, like they're in that like you know thing at the end or whatever, and they're, and they're like you know, well, we're men, we're gonna have to do this karate style, even yeah. though we've got weapons and everything. It's like no, you just just shoot them. Yeah. Come on. That's <laughs> yeah. another one of the reasons I like the raid too, because those guys like slice each other to hell, and that oh. kid. And then oh, he makes yeah. it through there, and that dude just shooting him with a shotgun. Like, I'm going to shoot at, like, no one has any honor fight code there, because that's how it would really be. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one that I'm going to say that I'm going to, we're going to take credit for ending in movies, because I haven't seen it in forever. And we used to, we used to bring this up, and like, it seemed like every movie had this. Um, but, the 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 guy who's a part of a SWAT team or a military or something like that who says I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you um, and and I haven't seen it in forever, but like it it seems like like I'm 
the, the thing that's so ridiculous about it is, yeah, you did. You did sign up for this. <laughs> this is exactly what you signed up for. Uh, stuff like this that's so crazy and everything. What do you mean you didn't sign up for this? And it's, that's why it's so offensive every time you, you see it. And I, I think they they try to put that line in as some sort of levity type of thing, you know, didn't sign up for this, you know, whatever, but it's, it got to the point of just being stupid. Yeah. It's just, just, it's equivalent to I'm too old for this shit or Smith's damn. It's just, (laughs) you know, or, Oh hell no. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) I'm going to sneak one more in just Uh, before we get to the questions, because this was a big one that I, that I, I didn't, I ran over, but it's the spy agency or the cop who can't work anymore and, and, and goes rogue. Um, (laughs) the, 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 problem with it as a story at this point is we all know that they're going to go rogue and we're all we all know that as long as they solve the case it doesn't matter they'll you know they'll they'll be fine at the end nobody cares that they broke the law to to uh to do this stuff most recently saw this in rogue nation um where you know that they're like you can't work anymore but guess what haha i have a secret lab full of all the stuff we need to continue doing spy stuff and like in the 80s that was a big deal like every cop movie had that you know scene with the you know the sergeant or whatever you guys yeah you guys blew up a whole block blah 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 you're suspended you can't ever work again and they're like guess what i'm still gonna work because i got you know because i know what i know the i know the bad guy and i'm gonna go after him and all that so yeah that's another one that just keeps coming up and coming up and it's like all right just can we not can we just write that out at this point can we just say that they're on probation or something and just believe it you know so that's another one anyway well, also another one in uh, civil war actually so civil war <laughs> covers a lot of these things yeah going rogue and then i was thinking about there was a time literally when uh, sam or falcon comes in and Rather than, you know, interrupt the uh, meet cute with uh, Captain America and his girlfriend, he comes in and says, <laughs> you got to take a look at this cap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to show him like the the whole explosion at the UN instead of just telling him, man, UN just got hit. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I know we just reviewed this and it's not a part of the, uh, the podcast tonight, but I do think it was hilarious. This is, I don't know if it was meant to be hilarious, but I, I, I doubt it, but I just find it hilarious that they were at a funeral and Falcon elbows, Captain America yeah. and says, look at that hot chick that's up there. <laughs> about to give her eulogy, her sexy eulogy. Well, he's actually oh what he's actually, Actually, saying is, hey, that girl who protected you in Winter Soldier is actually the daughter or granddaughter of Peggy or whatever. Right. But yeah. yeah, it was, and you know, we should have said this in the review. It was in my notes, but what a waste that whole thing was. Why do we need oh, Peggy yeah. Olson's funeral? Like, I thought she was already dead. And just to tell us that this other girl is her relative i could have bought cap falling in love with her regardless even if her name was steve like that was well, and, and wasn't she was she a niece she was a niece right yeah it was, it was niece. Like, yeah it was a niece but but i i, I know that that elbowing was part of that but it, some of it had to be like yo check it Damn. out <laughs> <laughs> that, that girl is hot <laughs> all right should we do um, a question or two yeah let's do it question question i got something to say I'm listening. All right. These these could turn out any any direction. Um, <clears throat> you could take a supporting character from any movie and develop a full TV sh- show about them. Who would it be? 
And if you don't have an answer, uh, you can think while I give an answer. I'm going to go with uh, Kevin Pollack in She's All That, the mm. pool cleaning dad who confidently answers every Jeopardy answer way wrong. Uh, <laughs> to the point where that was my favorite thing about that movie. That's actually a more likable movie than you think it's going to be going in and charms you more than you expect it to. But uh, just like they'll ask a question, whatever it is, Abraham Lincoln. And then you'll hear the actual <laughs> answer be like peanut butter or whatever. It's nothing related. <laughs> He's wrong every time. And I would love to see that guy's life. You know, give me like a Better Call Saul version of this pool cleaner and the customers that he works for and him being overly confident in areas that are not just Jeopardy. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> um. The, every time I hear, well, I, I don't know if I've heard this question before, but uh, I know that, uh, and I'm going to go back to zero effect. Um, mm. Daryl zero. And in fact, they, there was a, uh, we, I think I've mentioned this before. They were going to make a zero effect TV show with Alan coming. Right. Um, as Daryl zero, but you know, Daryl zero zero is basically Sherlock Holmes, but I feel like he's a little bit quirkier and a little bit more introverted even than Sherlock Holmes is. And uh, you could make some, you, you could make a really fun TV show out of it and everything. And, and because zero effect was such a like, you know, uh, non-factor in the box office and still today, nobody really remembers that movie. Um, I, I still think that there, I, you know, have some hope for that character resurfacing at some point. And I think that would be a great TV show. Right. Yeah, I've actually got I've got two, and both of them are the kid brother. Uh, first is the kid brother from Better Off Dead. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> you remember this? This kid was just nuts. Yeah. Like he was into all different crazy things. As <clears throat> John Cusack's character is going through his crisis of consciousness and and everything uh, after he gets dumped, uh, but the kid brother is just kind of like doing weird shit, and. Uh, <laughs> He's into weird things. And I think he ends up building like a rocket ship or something like that by the end of it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. remember. But, don't but know. there's that. And then I brought this movie up a couple of podcasts ago. But uh, the uh, the <laughs> in Varsity Blues, the uh, James Vanderbeek's kid brother goes through like this progression of religion. Mm-hmm. If you remember this, like he's yeah. he's into Christianity. He's like literally lugging a, a life size cross across the yard at one point, <laughs> <laughs> and then it, at one point, like he's all dressed up in like Louis Farrakhan stuff, and he's like "Assalamu alaikum." So <laughs> I, I just think that'd be uh, it'd be a fun. All right, fun um, should we do another question? Yeah. All right, we got time for one more. This this will promote discussion. Um, even okay. if we have to throw out ones that aren't our final answer to get us going. What, what's the best comedy made after the year 2000? In the year hmm. 2000. Um, wow. And so the, the first movie on my lips, which is probably not the right answer, is Tropic Thunder, because that mm. is probably mm. the one I've seen the most and one of the ones that made me laugh the hardest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what other contenders, because I'm sure there's a couple of indies out there that were freaking hilarious I'm forgetting about. I know Hangover is in here. Um, what am I missing? Well, Team America for me. Uh-huh. Um, Team America is a movie that um, uh, I saw that. That was one one of the rare ones I saw twice before it came out. Um, and I remember... Uh, I, I don't think in any comedy in since 2000, I have been doubled over and laughter more 
than in Team America, especially when the first thing that really just had me on the floor was that America fuck yeah song. Because um, <laughs> it, it's just not expected at all, but it's perfect in every way. And uh, and I was just doubled over. The sex scene in Team America Ooh. is just riotous funny. And uh, just the way, is, especially the way it leads up to it and everything, you know, the whole, you know, like, um, you know, I, if someone could promise me they didn't die, I'd sleep with them right now. <laughs> He's like, I promise I will will never die and uh and and just just how 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 they make fun of michael bay all the way through that movie and 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 you know plus not not only is that movie hilarious but it there's so much work that went into that thing Mm. like you would have never guessed like you know they got they got bill pope the guy who did the matrix for cinematography and they've got like uh the set design and all the other stuff has got all these little secret like there's stuff made of quarters and all and like stuff like that. Like just, you know, it, it's so much attention to detail went into that movie and it's just hilarious. I think uh, I would bring up the Will Ferrell, Adam McKay stuff. Uh, mm-hmm, as being, mm-hmm. And not only it'd be a bit, a bit of a cheat because some of the, the best stuff has come out on funny, funny or die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean that, that trilogy or, or more of, you know, the uh, Anchorman and uh, yeah. Talladega Nights and Step Brothers and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they talk about the layering effect of like how the, the jokes hit you over time and everything. And they say what you will about like how much they make you laugh and everything. They are some of the most quotable movies of the last 20 years or so. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially something like Talladega Nights. I think you know, it's just you just come back to it. And the same thing with Anchorman. People quote Anchorman all the time. Yeah, and yeah. I love Anchorman. And I would put the 40-year-old virgin in the same conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it has a lot and of great talent and it still holds up really well. Um and it, it feels like it belongs in that same group with all those Will Ferrell Adam McKay stuff. And that's uh that's clearly the best Apatow out of that whole group because yeah. after that after that knocked up is really good, but you start seeing the excesses of Apatow and knocked up and then like uh, you know, funny people is not very good. And uh, this is 40 is not very good. He start he, he just can't cut himself, but the, the 40 year old virgin is, is perfect length, perfect comedy, all that. Um, another Apatow produced movie. That's fun is super bad. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, another, another, uh, uh, fun one there. Um, to, uh, I guess out of that whole group, team America still going to win it for me. You know, I would, I got, I, I got one more contender though. Yeah, I do too. Go yeah. Ahead. Right at 2000 was Best in Show, which is Ooh. one of my favorite Christopher Guest films. And yeah. that thing holds the hell up, too. Like, yeah. Talk about talent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw that recently again. And uh, and it, that movie is just, yeah, it's it's hilarious all the way through. It. I would uh, float Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. And I, and I I think I like Hot Fuzz the best. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think the Hot Fuzz is, is the best of all of that trilogy. Uh, so it would probably get my vote of them. But they're... I mean, they're probably all worthy of mention. Um, do we do we do we need to like vote and actually pick one, or are we just <laughs> no? Or? I don't think so. I don't. I, I I mean, all of those are good choices. I mean, uh, really good choices. And I'm sure we're forgetting a couple here and there, but we named a lot of. We them. did. <laughs> we covered some ground. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the Sincast for this week. Uh, go to SoundCloud. Tell us what you think about uh, what we said today. Tell us if we're idiots or not. 
tell us if we're great um especially comment on barrett and how great he is mm-hmm. um yeah absolutely um because without barrett this isn't possible um it's very true i'm not being sarcastic <laughs> and uh but anyway go to soundcloud sound off on on that but uh, that's the syncast for this week uh signing off this is chris atkins and with jeremy scott and barrett share we will see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Go Preds! Go Preds! Go Preds! This is what we'd call an orgy of evidence. Chrissy, give me a shtickle of fluoride. Forget everything that you think you know. They like to get the landmarks. Major, you better take a look at this. Kyle, what is it with the crawls? Fuck yeah!